0: I do want to talk about something that, of course, foundations, it's foundational, it's fundamental, it's core to who we are. When I was a student here, we didn't have this week, we didn't have this weekend, we didn't teach these things, and it's too bad, we missed out because they're, they're, they're absolutely core to who we are. So the title of tonight's teaching is, Jesus is our Lord. And that may sound like a basic, yeah, we all know that kind of thing, but I'm going to suggest that maybe we don't all know it as much as we think we do, or the way we should. Um... Every child of God, all of us, needs to really understand this. If we're going to walk rightly with God, then that word, Jesus is our Lord, the Lordship of Christ, needs to have meaning, biblical meaning. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. Um, I'm not going to use any slides or anything. I won't use my typical blue screen. Um, those who have been with me know. But I'm going to start with Romans 1.4. And it says this in speaking about Jesus, this verse, Paul says, and was, he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. And then he names him Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that phrase, Christ, our Lord, is something that the Apostle Paul uses over and over, and the whole New Testament uses over and over. He's, he is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. But he is the Lord. And I did the work, and I looked it all up, and in the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord 168 times. That is far more than any other title he has. Son of Man, Son of God, they're, they're in the 80s. Um... The interesting thing, he is called our Savior 16 times. Seven of those are with the title Lord and Savior. So really, if you talk just Savior and Lord, 159 times he's called our Lord, and only nine times he's called Savior. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think the title Lord is used so much more I mean, more than double of any other title and triple more than many. So I want to start by, by using myself as an example. Now I've been a believer now 40 years, I guess, close to 40 years, 140. Thank you, dear. Gentlemen, when you get married, you will find that no one will humble you as much as your wife. That's probably a good thing. But anyway, when I got saved for the first several years of my life, I knew the term and the word Savior. It meant something to me, right? Jesus is my Savior. And when I thought of him, that's what came to my mind first and foremost before anything else. He's my Savior, And we're not talking about God the Father. We're talking about Jesus. He is my Savior. Uh, He saved me. He delivered me. He forgave me. He's my Savior. And that word, even saying it, just, just grabs me. Just means something. Because of all that He did to make Himself my Savior, it just meant something. And I knew that He is the Lord, and therefore I knew He is my Lord. But that word Lord didn't move me, didn't mean anything to me. I mean, I know it has meaning, but it didn't stir me, it didn't move me the way Savior did. And as I thought about this years later, I I think I come to an understanding of why, and part of it will apply to most of you. We live in a country where we don't have lords, we don't have kings, we don't have masters, We live in a country that the very idea of a king is why we had a revolution and it's opposed to the very essence of our society. Think about it. We don't have kings for a reason. And if you were to talk to the people who did the revolution, they would say, we don't want a king. And this mentality, this this idea... For Americans, it's spoon-fed to us from the time we're little. Personal freedom, independence, autonomy. It's the basis of the form of our government. It's the basis of the form of our society. It's, it's our whole life. We are independent. We are free. We are self-governing. We have a democracy. That's who we are. And I grew up believing that you're only truly free when you can self-govern. And if you can't self-govern, then you're in bondage. You're under a dictator. You're under uh, uh, someone controlling your life. And it's so much so that in our society, when you get a bunch of self-governing, autonomous, independent, free people together, how do we make decisions? We democratically vote. We still keep our freedom. We each have a say about what happens. Nobody's gonna tell us what to do. And honestly, That mentality was so deep in me that I brought it into the church. I brought it into my relationship with God. In addition to that, when I grew up, I I had this idea of a king or a master or a lord as something very negative. My image of a lord or a king is someone that's very official and formal and distant who's above me and I'm beneath them and they, they lord it over me. A king, you know, you don't just walk up to a king. Think about it. the Queen of England just died and, and the, the amount of uh, people stood in line, they couldn't even get close to the dead body. This, the kings and lords are, are exalted, they're big, they're, they're important and I'm not. And I had a very negative idea of... I, there, there's a distance between me and lords. There's a distance between us. I can't just approach them because I'm not worthy and they are. They're important and I'm not. They're in authority and I'm a peon. I'm nobody. And thinking all of that, having all of that in my mind... When I got saved and they said, Jesus is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, my instant thought was, there he is. And here I am. And there's a big gap between us. Of course the word Lord didn't move me. Why would it? Why should it? And I had this this idea that submitting to his lordship meant I had to give up my own independence and freedom. It's not actually true. Not like we think. So let me tell you shortly my story. I have two hours, right? Okay. They all know I always go over in all my classes, so it's just the way it is. One day I was 16 years old, and, and for those of you who've never heard my testimony, I was thoroughly, deeply, just in tears, weeping, because I understood for the first time in my life that I was a sinner. I mean guilty, dirty, unworthy sinner. I just, it hit me. I knew it. I, I was talking with my father, and it just all the things that I had said and done, all the way I had led my life, all the lies, all of it just came pouring over me, and I knew There's no hope. And at the same time, in that moment, for the first time, God showed me how much he loved me in spite of me being that way and how much he wanted to forgive me. And I genuinely, thoroughly was moved by his love and accepted Christ in a way that I had never done before. I mean, I was raised in a, from the time I was nine in a Christian family. I knew the gospel. I knew Jesus died for our sins. I was water baptized at eight years old. I'd gone through uh, all the things that church people go through. I knew that he paid the price for our sins. But it wasn't until that moment that the love of God became real. I, I felt like for the first time in my life, I was not guilty anymore. There was no shame. I just felt clean. And the idea that He saved me, that He loved me so much, the word Savior was just sweet. It was just like honey. He saved me. I don't die when this body dies. I don't get punished. I don't go to hell. I don't get condemnation. I don't get God pointing His finger at me and saying, and you did this and this and this. I'm free from all of that. And that 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 experience was so powerful. And then I go to church and people ask me this question. And it's a question that we've all probably asked. When you got saved, did you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? How many of you have heard that question? Lord and Savior. And of course I said to them and I said to myself, well, of course, yes, yes. The interesting thing is, I had no idea what the Savior part really meant yet. I I was getting it, but I was completely in the dark about Lord. I said the words, but Lord meant nothing to me. And As a matter of fact, I, I didn't even like to say it. It had kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And I even remember hearing a sermon by a pastor who said, we're free in Christ as Christians, so we don't have to keep the law there are no longer rules, and a set of rules over us, we're free. And I was like, hallelujah. I don't like rules. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like the law of God. No, I want to be free. And I, I loved the idea that it's love. God loves me. I love God. He's my Savior. I'm free. No rules. We're happy. Life is good. The problem was that I did not yet see that it wasn't just the law God wanted to set me free from. He wanted to set me free from my democratic, independent, autonomous, self-governing. He wanted to set me free from me. What I didn't realize, the truth, that he wanted to set me free so that I was no longer the Lord of my own life. I didn't get it yet. And, and every time somebody tried to talk to me about it, it was like, you need to make Jesus Lord. Okay, I'll obey Him when He tells me what to do, right? He's Lord, and if I don't, He's going to zap me and I'm going to be in trouble. And if I really don't, He's going to send me to hell. So yeah, okay, I'm not stupid I'll listen, I'll obey, I know I have to, and that's all it meant to me. And whether we know it or not, the first steps towards making Christ our Lord is to understand that He can only be our Lord when we are not the Lord of our own lives. And God slowly began to show me that the reason I didn't like Christ him being Lord was not only did I misunderstand what it meant, but I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to make my own decisions. I had been raised that way. We're free, right? We're Americans. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. You try to take my freedoms, I'll pick up a gun and shoot you. Hey, come on, this is America, right? All the foreigners are like, you people are weird Yeah, pickup trucks, guns, and beer. Okay, it's America. Come on. So people trying to tell me this, I'm like, no, I'm good. And God started working on me and showing me that whether I knew it or not, someone is always the Lord of my life. The question was, who? Someone's will is always done in my life. The question is, whose will? God slowly began to open my eyes to show me that someone will choose the direction I'll go. Someone is going to decide what I'm going to say and how I'm going to act and what I'm going to believe. And it's either going to be me or God. But until you see that, until you recognize that, it's, it's, it's the wrong submission to the wrong Lord Because you're really needing first to get rid of the one you don't need. That's where it starts. Every one of us who self-govern are actually doing our own will. We don't realize it. We do what we think is best. We do what we think is right. When I agree with God, I do what He says. If I disagree with God, obviously the people who are telling me what God is saying are wrong. Do you know people actually think that way? I'll bet some of you do. I've had people say it to me. The thing is that if you've truly made Christ your Lord the way the Bible wants you to, you've learned to not just submit your will, but to stop being your own Lord. Now, I'm going to explain how this happens and why. Because making Christ our Lord is key But it's not about forcing ourselves to yield and submit to his control. And that's what I was trying to do. We actually had a service in this room. It was 1986. I was at this altar. This thing wasn't here then. It was just here. And I was kneeling on this side right here and God was dealing with me about submitting to him. And I was crying and fighting it and I'm like, God, I know I need to and I need to give in to you and I need to give in to your control in my life, but I, how do I make myself do that? The problem was I was trying to submit to his control, but that's not about what it is. It, His lordship has nothing to do with submitting to his control. If you understand me, you'll understand what I mean. Does he need to be in control? Yes, but that's not the problem. It's about willingly, wholeheartedly choosing his will over my will. It's all about the will. It's all about what we want. If I have to force myself, I mean, I've had kids, I have kids. They're adults, but they have kids. And they were, at times, less than perfect. I know that's hard to believe, considering my wife is their mother. But they were less than perfect. There were even moments when they were rebellious. I know. Pastor's children. And I would tell them things to do And they were very different. My daughter would listen 99% of the time, but the one time she didn't, you could not get through to her for three days. It was like fighting an army. Our son, on the other hand, daily would not listen, but all you had to do was look at him cross-eyed and he'd stop. So he'd yield quickly, but often needed to yield, whereas our daughter would yield willingly a lot, but when she wouldn't, she really wouldn't. Now, do you think what I wanted for them was for them to force themselves to obey even though they didn't want to? Is that what teaching children to obey is about? You will do what I say because I said so, even if you don't want to. That's not obedience. That's control. You will want what I want ooh, now we're getting closer. What I'm really after is for them to say, what you want is best, so I want what you want. And that's what this is really all about. It's moving from that place where I have to listen to God and do what He says because if I don't, I'm in trouble. He's the boss. It's moving beyond that to a place where I begin to see I shouldn't listen to me anyway. I need you to think about this. It's not about God controlling us because He's the boss and He's going to punish us and He's going to make us. It's not about being controlled by force and God saying, okay, yield. And people very often mistake and think that Christ being our Lord is because of His position. I mean he is the omnipotent sovereign king and lord of heaven and earth right and by very nature of his position he has the authority and the power and the right to tell me what to do but that is not what he wants from his children that is what he has over the nations that won't listen to him. As a matter of fact, it says in Philippians that there's a day coming, Philippians 2, nine. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But he's saying that over those who don't want to bend the knee. He's saying that over those who don't want to confess that he is Lord. And he's saying a day is coming when all those people out there that are saying no won't have a choice because they're going to stand in front of the maker of the universe and he's going to say, he's Lord, bow. But with his children, with Christians, with believers, that's not the relationship he wants. It's not his position that he wants to use to make us do what He says. It's not that He wants us to look at Him and go, okay, don't get mad. I'm doing it. That's not the point. Christ is our Lord for one and one reason only, because we want Him to govern our lives because only He can do it right. Choosing Christ as my Lord is not about me being forced to submit to him. It's not about Christ using his authority and his power to control me and tell me what to do. It's the exact opposite. It's me entrusting myself and my life into his hands and saying, you know what's best. I want what you want because you're smarter than me. You need to think about this. I'm willingly, freely, choosing to entrust myself to him because the alternative is trusting myself. Now, I'm looking out at you, and most of you are very similar to me. You're not all that bright. Now, I'm comparing you to God, of course. Is anybody even close to being as smart as God? Anybody? Anybody here have even a fraction of the wisdom that God has? Does anybody here all-seeing and all-knowing the past, the present, and the future, and every thought of every human, and every hair on every head and the name of all the stars? Is anybody here even close, even in a fraction of a way, as smart as God? Hmm. Well, if God is that much smarter than us, And I choose to want to do it my way. What I'm actually saying is that I'm choosing an imperfect, very limited human over the divine creator of all things. I'm actually saying that I'm choosing someone with limited knowledge and understanding, poor judgment, and imperfect human wisdom over the God who has perfect wisdom and knowledge of all things and has all things planned perfectly. Because every time I look at God and say, I don't want to, what I'm saying is, my will is better. If you think about it, what's so stupid is we're saying, I'm a better Lord of my life than you are. So why should I listen to you? See, it's not really about temptation. We have a thing called the fear of the Lord. And yes, there's moments when the fear of the Lord shows up. But that's the extreme moment when we're really struggling and we need to remind ourselves, hey, ultimately, who are you talking to? But I can, really, I can really understand the fear of the Lord because it's what I wanted with my children. I allowed my children to discuss with me and my wife. And if they were in a debate and in a discussion and they disagreed with us, they were allowed to say it. But respectfully, there's a line you don't cross. Right? That's all the fear of the Lord is. Knowing that there's a line you don't cross. But that's not what's needed in lordship. That's not necessary to make him lord of my life. I need Jesus to be the lord of my life because I'm not trustworthy enough and wise enough to run my own life well. And the minute you understand that, the idea that he's lord takes on a whole new meaning. It begins to change. And many Christians, including myself for many years, think that when I say Christ is my Lord, I'm really saying I will obey Him because His Lordship is all about me obeying. Wrong. It is not. That's a misunderstanding of Christ's Lordship. The core meaning of the words Christ is Lord is not my obedience, it's His trustworthiness. Obedience is the result. When I see him as trustworthy, when I see him as worthy, when I see him as all-knowing and wise, when I see him for who he is and I say, I can't compare to that, I can't, why would I want to do it my way? He says, that's bad for me, it must be bad for me. My obedience comes from seeing him as who he is. And we think it's all about obedience. No, obedience is the result. God isn't after obedience, he's after trust. Trusting him instead of trusting myself. That's the heart of all of this. The heart of lordship is knowing that only his will is worthy. Really. Because the minute you think if he's telling me no, he must have a good reason, it's not hard to give in to it. And again, I go back to my children, especially when they were little. Um, they, They had this thing in them, maybe you did too, where they wanted to do things their way. Anybody here relate? Yeah. And... Uh, you would try to tell them, don't do that. And of course, the question, but why? It's fun. I want to. Why not? Their thinking is, if you can convince me that it's wrong or bad, then I will agree I don't want it. And what God is saying is, can you trust me that even when you don't understand, you're willing to say, If you don't want it, I don't want it. If you do want it, I want it. It's not about understanding, because I'll be honest with you, you are not going to understand half of what God tells you. There are going to be times in your life when God is going to tell you things, yes, no, go, turn left, turn right, do this, do that, and it will make zero sense to you. You will not understand it because you are not God, and you can't see the big picture, and you can't see yesterday and three years from now, and you don't know what's going to happen to all the people that you're involved in, and if God tried to explain it to you, your head would explode. And he's just like, my will is perfect. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me and say, well, okay, I want what you want. Lordship is wanting what he wants because he knows best. The minute I started to get a hold of this, I stopped struggling I stopped trying to to fight because I understood that I can trust His will and His way and His plans and His purposes. I can understand that He's smarter than me. I don't have to understand why. I just have to know who's saying it. One of the interesting things that I learned with having children was to say to them, trust me. Now, when I was young myself, my dad was a... Uh, A very strong man, strong-willed, strong physically. And there were moments when we needed to trust him. Several different events in my life where he looked at me and I was scared and I didn't want to do it. And he said, trust me. And in trusting him, I just said, okay, and I did it. Why? Because I trusted him. It, It really was about him. And there were several times um, one time in particular, and I, I told this example years ago, and people thought it was funny. But my dad was kind of a crazy guy. Don't know where he gets it from. Um, I think it runs in the family. But we were helping a builder build a house, a friend of ours, and we had to put in nails in the floor. This was before nail guns and cell phones and laptops and all that fun stuff. Because we're old, um, and I was a teenager, and we had to put in hundreds of big nails. And he had this big hammer, big, I mean, carpenter's hammer, big, I mean, long, heavy. And he was getting tired, so he said, you hold the nail, I'll hit it once, it'll be set, you pull your hand away, and I'll hit it again. And I looked at him and went, how about you hold the nail, and I'll hit it with the hammer. And he said, I'll tell you what, every time... I accidentally hit your finger, I'll give you a dollar. Well, I'm sorry to say as a teenager, you could buy my allegiance. Probably still can't. But anyway, we worked for six hours and put in hundreds of nails. He never hit me once. But I'll never forget his words. He looked at me and he just said, trust me. What overcame my fear? Yeah, that is part of the example, you're right. The the hope of money. But what really overcame it was his words, trust me. I'm going to say to you tonight, if you want Jesus to be your Lord, you've got to hear him say, trust me. And you've got to trust him, because otherwise, you'll be forcing yourself to bend the knee. And that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to see you kicking and screaming, fine. I'll do what you want. Okay. Don't punish me. I'm being good. That's, that, that's not what he's after. He wants us to look at him and go, wow, if, if you say no, it must be bad. I want to take you to a strange verse that people don't normally associate with what I'm talking about. In John chapter 20, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead, but not everyone has seen him yet. And Thomas, poor Thomas, just was like, I don't believe it. If I can't put my finger in the holes, I'm not going to believe it. I saw him die on the cross. He was crucified. He's dead. I won't believe it. Well, obviously, Jesus deals with it. And I'm going to read you John chapter 20. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And what did Thomas say? He cried out, My Lord and my God. Why did he call him Lord? Was it because he suddenly was bowing to his authority and power? Is that what the moment was about? Why did he cry out, my Lord? I want you to think about, he was in awe of the person of Christ that he knew had just beat death. He had risen from the grave. He had overcome the power of death. He was truly the Lord of life itself. He was the master, the king, the ruler. But it wasn't the authority and the power that Thomas was in awe of. It was the person of Christ. And if you don't have that, you won't trust him. You can't trust someone that you don't see for who they are. If you don't know how strong they are, and how amazing they are, and how incredible they are, you'll never trust them. So part of this is trusting, but the other part is seeing him for who he is. It's not his exalted position, it's the whole picture. It's the whole Jesus. It's him in all his amazing glory and majesty. and his. I, mean, I can see, Thomas, I, I get it. I get it. He's looking at him and he's like, you just walked through the wall. And, and, and I, you're alive, my Lord. There's a moment when you see him for who he is and you trust him. Now, I'm going to take you to another place in Acts chapter 7. Stephen. Stephen. He's being stoned. He's the first martyr in the church. These, this poor guy. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of incredible wisdom of God. He's doing miracles. He's being used by God. So, of course, they want to kill him. And they drag him in and he does all this. And as he's dying... Acts chapter 7, verse 59. Listen to these words. As they were stoning him, which is a horrible way to die. It's painful. It's amazing. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Why didn't he call out, Savior, my Redeemer, my Savior, I'm coming to you. Why did he commit his spirit to the Lord Jesus? It's there again. He called out to his Lord because he was calling out to the one he had entrusted his life to. You see, he's saying, the one whose will I always follow. The one who brought me to this place. The one who allows me to be stoned. The one who is my Lord. Receive me. We we don't think about it in those terms. We don't see how amazing his, his lordship, as we call it, is. He called out to the one that Stephen had given authority in his life over to. He belonged to Christ. That's why it's amazing that he he called out to the one he fully trusted and addressed him by the one word that expressed his trust. Lord. Think about it. He's actually dying And he's trusting Jesus in a way like none of us do. I would be pretty upset. Lord, you got all 12 apostles. None of them are dying. I'm a deacon. Okay? I serve tables. I start moving out into ministry. I start doing miracles. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. And you're letting them stone me? Excuse me. Aren't I doing your will? but because he was so yielded to whatever God wanted, he had a Lord that he trusted. Do you see where it comes from? do you see do you see what this is? I only have one last passage, one last verse. I don't even know what time it is. I don't have my I, I actually don't have my glasses on, so I can't see. seven forty five good. Romans ten nine. it's the last verse. It says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Why does it say, if you believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior, you will be saved? That Jesus is your Redeemer, you will be saved. Why does it say, confess that He's your Lord? This is in the very beginning of our relationship with Him. This is how we get saved. Because it's not saying, "Uh, Jesus is the one I will obey. I, I, I give my heart to you. That's not what it's talking about. It's simply saying, Jesus is the one I'm turning my life over to. Jesus is the one I trust for my salvation. His will in my life is what I want. So he calls him Lord. If you don't confess him as Lord, what you're saying is, I'm a better boss of my life. I will do it my way until you make me do otherwise. Because I'm an American. <laughs> All right. I want to close. I want to tell you that I have learned That God knows what's best for me. More than that, His will for my life is perfect. And there's things that I don't get, there's things that I wish He would change. He has allowed things in my life that I truly wish He had not, but I've learned to trust Him. I didn't want Him to be my Lord because I didn't want a boss. He's not my boss. He's my trusted leader. He's the one I count on to guide me in the right path. He's become my Lord because I've truly understood his will is perfect and his plans are right. And when I don't get it, I trust him anyway. So the question I have for you as we enter into this weekend. Who's running your life? Who do you trust the most? Who do you really genuinely believe knows what's best for you? Because if it's God, if it's Jesus, you won't struggle to bend the knee. It won't be hard. And I can tell you that from experience. It gets easy. Because I trust him. Because he's amazing. He is so smart. People... He is so brilliant. He is so wise. He is so good. There is nothing He will ever bring into your life that He will not work for good for you. There is nothing that He will ever let happen to you that He is not in control of. He will guide your steps and your way if you will let Him. But if you stiffen your neck, if you put out your hand and you say, when I agree, I'll do it, or when you make me, fine you will end up in places you don't want to be. And you will experience things you were never meant to experience. And you will suffer loss because of it. So if you want freedom, yield to His will. If you genuinely want to be free, use your freedom to trust God. Because nothing else brings freedom. Everything else brings bondage. Never think That you can be the Lord of your life. Because like I said. And no offense. You're not all that smart. Neither am I. No, No human is. So do you want Christ to be your Lord?